the following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Your discretion is advised. When Nicole Sandler sits down to do her show, she's the producer, booking the guests, pulling the audio, planning the show, the engineer, running the controls, troubleshooting any problems, playing the sounds, calling the guests, and she's the webmaster, writing the blog, posting the podcast, maintaining the website, not to mention the host, interviewing the guests, explaining the issues, giving opinions, and calling out the bad guys, and then you get the Nicole Sandler Show on NicoleSandler.com. Next year, next year, well, next year is here, isn't it, Mangy Fetlocks? Mangy Fetlocks here, having a wild uh, New Year's Eve, kind of as I usually do. I can't believe that 2023 is finally done. It was an awful year for Donald Trump. Indictments left and right, I'm sure, were hardly any fun. With flags the only willing thing to hump. But now the New Year's come, and Trump is still as dumb as any clump of dog dirt you might find. He'll lose in court, I bet. A sentence will be set, and under pressure he will lose his tiny little mind. He's already got those tiny hands, so the guy can't play <laughs> guitar at all, I guess. Good news in 2024. Trump will be whooped and showing out the door. When that occurs, then folks like me will celebrate for sure. Good news, it's 2024. Good news, it's 2024. I hope it's good news. Mangy Fetlocks. Thank you, everybody. I hope we have a real good year, too. Um, uh, welcome to a Wednesday. At least it's starting off well because the week is moving fairly quickly, right? Because it's Wednesday already. That's what happens when there is a holiday on Monday. And some people take off Tuesday. And in fact, it appears that the area where I live, the kids are out of school until next week. Must be nice. I I could have taken the whole week off, uh, maybe I don't know. Anyway, um, welcome to it. We have we have a great guest coming on today, and and I'll share. I, I told you a little bit about Anat Shanker Osorio yesterday. I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about her in just a couple of minutes. Um, but you know, I was so busy preparing for her because she's going to give us a lot of great information. Here's the thing. And I, I, again, I mentioned some of this yesterday, but I've got to do it again. Um, there's so much disinformation out there. We are being told so much. Bullshit. Right. Thank you. Bullshit. Um, from, in many cases, people we respect, in others, people we don't respect, but who have a very loud megaphone. Um, my, my boom keeps 
drooping. So I wind up lower and lower. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, so, and a prime example of it comes as I was perusing the shitter this morning. You know, the, the, the um, outlet formerly known as Twitter that I uh, aptly referred to as shitter. And it comes from David Hogg. Now, David Hogg is one of the young people we met in Parkland, you know, where I formerly lived, um, after the shooting there on Valentine's Day of 2018. David Hogg was one of the survivors of the shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, and they started uh, the March, um, March for Life, and other things. Well, David Hogg is one of the few of those that that original group who's still out there agitating and making noise and making a difference. And, uh, you know, uh, good for him. I'm happy that he's doing that. But I got to read to you something that he just, um, that he posted today on Shitter because it's kind of disturbing. Um, he wrote, if Biden can't adequately and immediately address the mass drop he has had in the polls with young people, there is no path to victory. Excuse me? Um, oh, I guess I need to turn this up. Uh, excuse me? Yeah, that would be a wrong answer. Simply wanting it to be different or acting like there is no problem doesn't change the fact that we have a major problem. David, come on, kiddo. Uh, it's January. Today's January 3rd. There's 11 months until Election Day. Polls are bullshit. They're just bullshit at this point. Should we take some uh, information from the polls? Yeah. But to proclaim... If Biden can't adequately and immediately address the mass drop he has had in the polls with young people, there is no path to victory. I, I urge you to shut the fuck up. I just need you to shut the fuck up because nobody asked you, bitch. I need you to shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Just shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. With all respect. Seriously. Um. All right, and now I'm 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 trying to find um a post by an old friend of mine. I told you about her yesterday. I'm not going to name her because she's not a public figure and she's not um a political person. In fact, I know her from, you know, the music world. And, um, and and if anything, she's an expert on sports. She's a sports nut. But someone said, and I'm not going to find it because I know she's very, very um, uh, uh, loquacious on the Twitter. She, she, she posts a lot. Um, but I'm going to still try to find it because it was one of the more stupid things that I've read in a long time. And, um, yeah, I'll never find it here. Maybe uh, uh, I should have looked earlier. But anyway, what she wrote was something to the effect of, uh, just because Joe Biden is too stubborn to get out of the race and because he will not pull out of the race, we're going to be stuck with Donald Trump as president. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, first of all, this was... 
the last month or, or, or a couple of months ago, she wrote it. I'm still looking for it, but maybe she smartly took it down. Um, uh, but th- that's a really asinine comment to make because, um, as I said, no, uh, Joe Biden should not resign. <clears throat> uh, he should not pull out of the race. Who are you going to run in his place? Honestly, Joe Biden has done a much better job of president than I thought he would do, um, than many people thought he would do. And uh, you tell me who would do better against Donald Trump or anyone else at this point. You know, the the problem is the Democrats, um, they don't have the, well, they don't have the deep bench of people ready to step up and do it. Although there are some good Democrats out there. Um, I just don't know where we're going to find. I wish I could find this post. No, it's, I'm never going to find it here. Anyway, I'm going to stop looking. Um, let me go back to David Hogg for a second here. <clears throat> he had got such pushback on his shit, you know, the formerly tweet, uh, when he said, <clears throat> if Biden can't adequately and immediately address the mass drop he's had in the polls with young people, there is no path to victory. And then he had to say, let me clarify. Young people absolutely need to vote. There are pivotal elections at various levels that young voters could sway. My point about President Biden having issues with young voters is that we can't pretend these problems don't exist by simply wishing them away. Okay, it's crucial we address and resolve these issues. And then he goes on a little longer. We've got a lot of work to do. And then in another uh kind of post trying to dig himself out of a hole. He says, well, we've had a lot of wins policy-wise with the administration doing about as much as the Supreme Court will allow to help improve the conditions of young Americans, arguably doing more for young people than any other administration before. It's pretty amazing. We need to see a much higher amount of investment into turning out young people and reminding them of what's been done and what we're going to do if Dems win a second term. Well, that's a mighty big divide from uh, if Biden can't adequately and immediately address the mass drop he has had in the polls with young people, there is no path to victory. Whoops. And again, the buzzer comes out of nowhere. Uh, and uh, somebody um, with the screen name of Hansel responded and said, maybe wait before you tweet next time. You see, I, I'm, I'm, if, you, if you go back into the archives of this show, which you can because there's no paywall here, go to my YouTube page or go to my podcast page and you can go back as far as you want and listen. Uh, if you go back a year maybe two, you'll hear me mistakenly uh, saying that I wish we could um, just th- that the young people would step up and take over now because they're what the world needs because they're, they've, they're, they're, they're taking action. They're standing up, they're voting. Now I want to say maybe they should just shut up and listen for a little while because yes, some of us are old farts. But that being old means you've lived a little bit and you have a, a bit of um, experience and you learn things along the way. 
And, you know, it wouldn't hurt to just shut up and listen to the older people for a few minutes, because in many cases, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Now, I'm not going to go headstrong into the Israel-Hamas debate again. I will if you want me to, but I'm not, that's not my intention here. But I will say that so many of these young people are screaming up, free Palestine, free Palestine, and they're, they're shouting in, in support of Hamas and the Houthi rebels and in Lebanon where, um, uh, you know, today, was it today or yesterday, um, uh, somebody was killed. A, uh, did I not pull that article? Um, okay. There were explosions in Iran, but, um, where 70 people were killed in an event, but there was another, um, uh, like a high level Hamas leader taken out in a, in a raid in Lebanon, I believe. I, I thought I pulled the article, but apparently I didn't. So I, I, I apologize if I get any of the facts wrong, but, but you know, here's the thing. Um, if you are a person, name it, you're, you're LGBTQ, you're a woman, you are, you, you are not a particular sect of, um, of, of the Islamic religion, Islamic faith. You would have no rights over there. There, you know, the LGBTQ alliance is going free Palestine. You wouldn't be free there. You know, so all I'm asking is that these people maybe put down the screams for a few minutes and listen and learn something. Um, because in many cases, they are just, uh, you know, it, it, they're just being the voice that they think is what they should be saying. I'm not expressing it well. All right. So let me tell you about a couple other things. I, I was so into preparing for a Knott's visit here that I realized like, you know, five minutes before the show started um, that that I didn't have like an opening monologue set to share with you. Although I did have an experience that I've got. I know others are in the same boat. And by the way, shout out to Olivia MSR on the shitter who said, who re, who retweeted the video of today's show, the live stream and said, I love Nicole. You might too. Thank you, Olivia. I really appreciate it. Um, truly seriously appreciate it. All right. So I got to tell you what happened. So, you know, look, I am, uh, like, uh, I, I live the gig economy now. I, for years I worked, I had a regular job in radio, I had a lot of jobs in radio that paid a salary and thank goodness for them because, you know, from those years, I got a, a small pension from AFTRA. So it's one of the things that keeps me afloat now um, because, you know, I don't charge for this program. There's no paywall here. And, um, and that's all well and good. That's fine. I just realized I never opened the Zoom thing for, for a not to come in. That's okay. I, I, I multitask. Um, anyway, so now, you know, there's a few ways that I'm trying to get more income, although I'm only allowed so much because I'm getting social security. You know, this is what happens when you get older. You, you, you try to pull all the pennies together and, and hope you can make it. Um, anyway, so in, in addition to doing this show, 
I, um, I do some odd jobs. I, uh, I produce other podcasts. I do voiceover work. I'm available. I do art, right? But so with the voiceover stuff, I'm always looking for, um, you know, for, for ways to, uh, to, um, supplement my income. And so I look for other voiceover jobs. So I look on LinkedIn and I see two job postings and and believe me, I I look a lot. I don't apply often at all because um, most of the jobs aren't right for me or I for them. And there's just no reason for it. Right. But so, um, but I saw two listings that I thought both of these I'm, I'm like perfect for. So I need to show, I need to tell you what, um, (laughs) what happened. The responses I got are mind blowing. So the first one, it was, um, for voiceovers to do voiceovers for a, um, motivational, you know, thoughts of the day. It was so you know, they just want a voice to, you know, to do these things. And I I could do that in my sleep, right? So I apply for it. And then I get this response. This is hysterical. And I got this yesterday or the day before. And I actually, um, I, 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 I screenshotted this response and I, I, um, you know, I uploaded it to LinkedIn so that other people could see and be warned because frankly, not everybody understands how everybody is trying to scam us. So I get new application voiceover artist from Nicole Sandler is the subject line. All right. So I know which job it is. And here's the, the, the email they sent. Dear applicant, red flag number one, if they're responding to a person from a a reply to a a job post, they would have that person's name. And based on how, what it continues, um, let me just read you the first paragraph. We received your application for our open job position, and we feel your background would be a good match with our company. We're in the middle of processing applications and currently have seven other applications along with yours that we are considering. So you can think of yourself on the short list to be hired. Sounds okay, but right. So Ed the second already says scam. Well, of course it's a scam because they said dear applicant, but, but it gets better. Here's paragraph two. Please note that our company requires all potential employees to have a credit score on file for your interview. Okay. Now, first of all, I know companies do this, but it's, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. They don't need your credit score. I don't know why they want, but it gets better. He says, we ask for this because you will have access to company credit cards for business expenses. For a voiceover person to read motivational quotes each day, I would not have a company credit card. That's bullshit. Bullshit. Um, We request that each potential employee complete this as this ensures that our future employee is credible, trustworthy, and can be an asset to the company. Please also note that because of the new economy, we take into consideration that there may be some blemishes on a large portion of applicant scores. Okay. Um, 
Rest assured that your credit scores themselves aren't significant, but our company still requires the report. Bullshit. It will charge you, here we go, $29.95 for the verification, which is also totally refundable. Sure it is. What? And then it says, please complete and print your credit score by clicking transunion.jobstransunion.com. I'm not saying transunion. You know, there are three major <coughs> credit reporting companies that that shouldn't exist, that that's a monopoly and a scam that someone, you know, more skilled as a investigative journalist should look into. But um, they are Equifax, um, uh, um, God, I'm drawing a blank on the other one, and TransUnion. There's Equifax, there's, um, God, it's right there on the tip of my tongue too, another one with an E, I believe, and TransUnion, not TransUnion, new TransUnion, there is no such thing as TransUnion, T-R-A-N-S Union, yes, TransUnion, no, and then it says you will need to bring a copy with you to your interview, this, this credit score costs you and is entirely secure from the most trusted credit score website online. (laughs) Experian, thank you, Kathy Turner in the chat room. Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. If someone asks you for TransUnion, run! Please complete this first step ASAP as we only have 48 hours to set up interviews. When you've completed the credit score, reply to this email and we will set up a time for a virtual interview. I look forward to meeting you. And it's signed Kevin Williams, hiring manager. Doesn't say the name of the business on here. And in fact, the the return address on this was uh, hiring manager and it was info at luckyrecruitment.net. Yeah, right. So, um... This is obviously not a real job. And I posted it on LinkedIn thinking that maybe the LinkedIn people would, you know, um, check it out because shouldn't they be protecting the people who use their card, their, their site to try to find work? That's how they promote themselves, right? But the better one or worse, depending on how you look at it, better for entertainment value, I suppose. First one was, you know, a scam, obviously. The sad thing is people will get taken in by that. They'll, oh, I'm on the short list. I got to get a credit. I can get a credit check. Oh, they say it's refundable and it's a trusted company. No, 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 no. Just so you know. No, that's a flat no. That's a scam within a scam within a scam, right? It's just wrong. But there's this other one. A new company called Rise 25 is hiring, and apparently they do business to business, like podcasting. I guess they do much more than just that. In fact, if you look up Rise 25, it's a whole... It's, it, it looks like a thing. And on LinkedIn, they've got a lot of jobs posted. Well, they're, th- this job, and I wish I had the posting open. I, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't really going to talk about this today. But this job posting was like the thing that I am most qualified for of any job I've ever applied for through LinkedIn anyway. And it was a podcast interviewer. 
Like I can do that. Uh, you need to know how to, you know, how to record yourself and edit and do great interviews. I'm like, that's what I do. I've interviewed people for 40 years or well, actually more like 30 years. And uh, I do production. I can do this. this. is I'm perfect for this. It would be like a freelance thing. I could do the ones that made sense for me, right? So I, I upload my resume to their thing. This was over the weekend. And about two hours later, I get a response. When I saw the response, it's like, oh, they must have seen my thing and know that I'm perfect for this. It says, hello, Nicole. We want to thank you for your interest in the professional podcast interviewer position. We appreciate your interest in our company, but unfortunately, we have decided to go in another direction. (laughs) We will keep your resume on file. Thank you and best of luck. Signed, Liz, Rise 25 hiring team. They've decided to go in another direction? What, not do interviews? Only hire people who have no experience in interviewing? And people who don't know how to operate audio or anything? I'm just, really, it was less than two hours after I hit the send button, I get this? Without even a conversation, without even talking to me to find out what I've done, it's just astounding. And I realized that all this is a scam. You know, I was told that this is, you know, that, that employees are needed, that people need to, you know, can't hire people because people don't want to work. <laughs> I just thought I had to share that with you because um, for those who say it's, you know, it's a job seekers market out there. Bullshit. Yeah. No. And uh, there's one thing I know I can do, and that's a good interview. <laughs> they didn't even didn't even talk to me. So, you know, it's funny. I went on LinkedIn and saw that Rise 25, I looked up the company. And it's a new company. Hold on, let me let me bring it up and see what I can tell you about it. But the one of the founders of it was a former White House speechwriter apparently, and I'm thinking, okay, well, it maybe it was for a Republican. So uh, he looked at my, they looked at my stuff and saw that I'm a raging liberal and realized that um, that that wouldn't work. But that's not the case. Apparently, this guy is is a Democrat. Rise, and he wasn't in the he wasn't a, a white a White House speechwriter either. But so I wrote directly to him. Um, uh, the company's called Rise 25. They, it, it's in the category of advertising services, and they're based in Tiburon, California. Tiburon, California is probably one of the most expensive zip codes in the country. It's, it's like Marin County. It's the best part of Marin County, just north of San Francisco. Really expensive. So they have some jobs that they're looking to fill on here. Content editor, content writer, YouTube ad specialist, professional podcast interviewer. And this they have based in Chicago um, and uh, as a remote position. And, and uh, here, here's, here's the, no, it's not Stephen Miller, 
Rick Smith. Um, here's here's the let me let me pull up this job, the professional podcast interviewer. Do you love interviewing people and learning about new companies and industries? Are you looking for a flexible part time gig in an exciting growth industry? If so, read on. Rise twenty five is looking for a professional podcast interviewer who will conduct interviews for podcast episodes to help our fast growing company. This is a remote position so you can work from anywhere with a good internet connection. I got that. Um, Required skills. You're a skilled interviewer with experience conducting interviews for podcasts, newspaper, TV, YouTube, or other media. Podcasting, business development, sales, and or journalism experience is preferred. You're quick with communications and... (laughs) And uh, what, um, uh, via email or Slack, you are nice. Maybe that's it. I'm just not nice enough. You are nice. We spend a lot of time working, so we want to be on a team with nice people. You speak English fluently. You are meticulous about checking your work for spelling, grammar, and factual errors. You are organized and can use Google. I mean, it's like, it's so easy. And yet, no, you're not right for this. Why? As Jimmy Roberts says in the chat room, America treats the elderly with extreme disrespect. I guess that's it. I'm the elderly. Of course, I know it's, it's an age thing. Why else would they have dismissed me so quickly without even a conversation? I ticked all the boxes, right? I fit all the criteria. And yet, no, we're going to go in another direction. I love that one. That's, that's, that's like my favorite. So anyway, um, if, for those of you who are looking for work, don't get discouraged because, um, unless you're 25, I guess they don't want you. I've, I've had this with a few other, you know, like I said, I don't apply for many jobs, but when it seems like a no brainer like that, I've only been interviewing people what 30 years and I'm pretty damn good at it. Um, but no, we're, we've gone in another direction. So by the way, the, the owner who I guess is the one who lives in Tiburon, California. Um, uh, I found his name on, on LinkedIn and I, and I sent him a note because you know me, because I don't shy away from crap like that. And I wonder, let me just, I don't know if it'll let me do this. Um, I, I use this app so rarely. Is this messages? Um, yeah. So his name is John Corcoran, John Corcoran entrepreneur and podcaster helping to build the wicks of B2B podcasting. And then he says, former white house slash EO member. Okay. Um, so I, I messaged him. I haven't gotten a response yet, but here's what I wrote. Hi, John. I just had to share this experience with you. I'm a career radio pro with a remarkable career and great interviewing skills. I saw an ad on LinkedIn for a podcast interviewer. I don't think I've ever been more qualified for a job, yet I got a quote, we're going in a different direction email just hours after submitting my resume. The only reason I could guess is my age. I'm stunned. Uh, Is question... uh, I'm questioning who's screening your applicants. You wouldn't find anyone more qualified or talented. I thought you should know. And I sent that, um, well, yesterday, yesterday morning. So um, I'll let you know if I hear back from John Corker, and I don't think I will. But, you know, I'm just not one to let shit like that go. All right. Uh, Moving right along. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So here we are. It's 2024. 
an election year. I told you earlier about my friend, who is not political at all, who posted on Facebook some months ago, I can't believe Joe Biden will not pull out of the race. And because of that, we're going to be stuck with Donald Trump for four more years. And I went, what? (laughs) He's like, where do you get this from? You are doing the work of the right wing for them. And as I told you just a few minutes ago, David Hogg, who... You know, who we know, David Hogg, um, who was one of the original, um, you know, the kids from Parkland, where I used to live after the, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shooting helped form March for Our Lives. I mean, this is a kid and I was so impressed with these kids. And I'm thinking these kids need to take over the world because us old people need to step back. It's their future. And then he tweets yesterday. I'm sorry, two days ago, if Biden can't adequately and immediately address the mass drop he has had in the polls with young people, there is no path to victory. No! Wait, I need the buzzer again. Come on, man. I need Joe. Joe! Come on, man. Come on, man. This stuff is, it's it's not going to help us. So how do we respond to shit like this? And with that, I bring in an old friend, uh, Anat Shankar Osorio. Um, I first met Anat, God, probably a dozen or more years ago at, uh, um, at through Netroots Nation and the Dirty Hippies List and uh, Mutual Friends. Anat is a, well, I, I wrote up your intro. Hi, Anat, by the way. Thank you so much for coming here today. It's, it's so good to see you. It's been a while. And my notes are covering your face. Um <laughs> Uh, and it's my, oh, okay. So you're, um, you're all about the messaging Anat develops and tests political messaging and then helps candidates, organizers, and activists around the world say what they're for in order to win progressive victories. Saying what you're for is the key here. Um, but we're going to get a little further into that. Anat hosts the, um, the podcast words to win by. You find it at words to win by pod.com. We'll talk more about that. But Anat, you've been doing this work for a long time. Um, the last time we spoke was in 2014. So I apologize. It's been 10 years. So hi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Oh, Hopefully well. I didn't say something <laughs> so egregious as to, you know, no. require nine years for you God. to forget it or not, 10 actually. Not, a, not at all. And I've been remiss. <laughs> and, you know, I saw this, this piece, this essay that you wrote for the New York Times, along with Norm Eisen and Celinda Lake. And I'm like, Anat, well, Anat would be the perfect guest for the beginning of the year, especially the beginning of a election year to help us know how to respond to idiotic statements from friends and people like David Hogg, who said, there's no way to victory. If Stop it. First of all, tell us about polls. Yeah, polls, that's an easy one. So the thing about horse race polls, well, first, I want to say many things about the polls. Yes. First of all, many of them are drawing a national sample. And it would be lovely to live in a country in which we had a popular vote and a national sample had any meaning at all. But of course, we live in this country. And so the first thing, if you know anything about politics, is that how people are going to vote where I live in California is meaningless, where lots and lots of other people live in New York or 
and even in Florida, Texas, none of those states are battleground states. And so asking questions of the national electorate, irrelevant. First thing you need to know, if it's a national poll, why are you looking at it? Yes. Second thing you need to know, if it is a battleground states poll, oftentimes the margin between the two candidates is larger than the margin of error. And here I really, really want to hold up a phrase that we all need to burn in our brain from my frequent collaborator and friend, Mike Podhorzer. If it's in the margin of error, it's in the margin of effort. Hmm. And we need to replace our understanding of MOE for the pollsters out there or the polling curious and understand that that means it's in the margin of effort. When people are taking a survey, when they are answering online or on the telephone or whatever modality is used, and they are asked the question, for whom would you vote? You have to understand that people do not know what they want for dinner tomorrow, (laughs) let alone what they are going to want come the beginning of November. We are way, way, way too far away because the thing that makes the difference in elections in these battleground states, as we saw in 2018, as we saw in 2016, as we saw in 20, as we saw in 22, as we saw in all of the special odd year elections in between, really is turnout. It Mm. comes down to whether or not people turn out. Let's just be honest with ourselves. There isn't a human being left, and if there is, they are a singular alien that's scratching their head and going, Trump versus Biden. I don't know. (laughs) I've never thought about that matchup before. I haven't made up my mind. I'm still thinking about it. Basically, outside of, you know, seven swing voters that are left, at least at the top of the ticket, it's different farther down. People have more room to play back and forth if we're talking about a school board race, for example. But at the top of the ticket, it isn't just that people's calcified identity preferences are tied to whichever team they consider themselves to be. They've literally already made this choice before. This matchup has already happened, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, as a side pet theory, I think part of the malaise around this entire election is just the fact that we've been conditioned to think about politics as being like reality television and theater. (laughs) And this is just a really boring election. Like we've already seen this episode. They already did this episode. Why do we have to watch this episode again? This is a rematch from 2020 and that's boring. And we don't really like that. I digress back to polls. When people are asked, what do you think you're going to do? They are registering how they feel at the moment of the survey and how they feel, yeah, is despondent and annoyed and frustrated and whatever malaise. And they are registering a displeasure with the present moment. What we find is that When, for example, we ask them, you wake up the morning, I want you to imagine that you wake up the morning of November 6th, 2024, and you open up your whatever and you read that Trump is president. How do you feel about that? (laughs) They're like horrified, disgusted, this and that. And so the point of this story is that answering a survey question, people respond differently to answering a survey question than they do to actually taking a an electoral action. And as I like to tell people over and over, I would rather win elections than polls. Yes. Yes. And 
if you look at that record, if you look at the record of winning elections and not polls, and you begin to count from 2018 when there was that blue wave and everything in between, including, like I said, the off-year special elections, I want to be a Democrat based on those odds. And so that's what I have to say about polling. Get yourself off the polar coaster, whatever it is you need to do to understand that that is, those aren't a meaningful set of questions right now. People cannot predict what they are going to do that far ahead. Right. It's 11 months away, which in politics is an eternity. Number one, number two, um, the, the, the polls have been wrong for the last 10 years. I'm not saying they've always been wrong, but you know, the media, you, you mentioned, you used a term, you said these horse race polls. This is what the media has reduced our elections to not a discussion about the issues or where the candidates stand on each issue, but the horse race. And that's all they seem to care about. And in so doing, and, and you already brought this up in your introduction, the the issue with the polls is actually that social proof is real. So what I mean by social proof is I sometimes call it the middle school theory of messaging. This is where people do the thing they think people like them do. And it's very difficult to underscore just how potent social proof is. And so what this means is that if you could imagine, if you could remember all the way back to 2016, if you're an apolitical person, and for folks who are listening to this, it's important to recognize that while we're accustomed to seeing the major distinction in politics be between right-wing and left-wing people, the actually much more significant distinction is between apolitical people, which is the majority of the populace, and the total outlier freako weirdos, which is us. (laughs) Being deeply attendant to and engaged in politics is atypical. Mm -hmm. That is not a sort of a standard set of behavior. Most people are sort of barely coming into consciousness that this is even an election year. They will begin to tune in and tap into that, you know, end of summer, beginning of fall at best. Right. And right now this has nothing to do with their life, nothing to do with their reality. They are not thinking about it. And I know that's very hard for us to understand, but that's what's true. And so for an apolitical person, if you are wandering around, you get flown into northern Wisconsin or, you know, rural Pennsylvania or the middle of Michigan, and you're scratching your head and you're like, I wonder what people like me think. And you see a sea of red MAGA hats and you see at that point, no blue stronger together hats, which people probably don't even remember was Hillary Clinton's slogan. (laughs) And you're thinking, what do people like me think? Well, I guess this is what a me kind of a person thinks. And it is that social proof, that essence, that the socially sanctioned position for whatever my identity group is, which could be age, it could be race, it could be the church you attend. I guess that's what a my kind of a person does. And so when we have this constant drumbeat of reporting that says, in essence, people don't like Joe Biden, it actually does increase the number of people who don't like Joe Biden, because, again, it creates the condition that that is sort of the default thinking pattern, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like the echo chamber and you keep saying something enough times and people take it, believe it's fact. I had a perfect um 
uh, this is a, an aside, but worked on a big morning show, big radio morning show years ago uh, in Los Angeles. And I said something about, well, the Dodgers, you know, we could get Daryl Strawberry on because, you know, they listen to us in the locker room every morning. And one of the guys said to me, they do? Is that is that true? And I said, I just said it on the radio. It's got to be true. So that's how these, and now it's social media. So it's even worse. And again, a friend of mine who I know from my music days posted this thing. It's like, oh, Joe Biden won't uh, leave the race. So we're going to lose and be stuck with Donald Trump. It's like, where do you get this? Do you realize the damage you're doing? Because the words we use are not matter. Right. And this is what you're all about. This is what you write about your book that you published a dozen or so years ago. uh, Don't buy it, (laughs) which was I don't know if that was the best title, but but it was about not buying the bullshit. Don't just take what they're saying for it. And yet it seems that social media has just amplified these horrible messages and people don't necessarily know where they're coming from, but they're quick to repeat them. Yeah, I guess what I would say about that is, first of all, we need to remember, and I willfully refuse to call it anything else, that Twitter is not real life. (laughs) And it is not a place where these apolitical people that I referenced earlier live. That is not their chosen social media by any stretch of the They are on Facebook. If they're older, they're on Facebook. If they're younger, they're on TikTok. If they're somewhere in between, they're probably on Instagram, Instagram. but they're definitely not on Twitter. So it's important to remember that kind of the conversation that happens on Twitter and increasingly less and less and less and less, right? Because people are fleeing, understandably so, is really a hyper partisan, hyper-political person talking to other hyper-partisan, hyper-political people. It's not where people who, you know, whose core, like, interest lies in baseball or core interest lies in, you know, whatever, crocheting, you name it, music, is hanging out. That's just not Mm -hmm. kind of who's on there. So, you know, I give a little bit more grace to what people are venting on Twitter simply because, it's it's an echo chamber of people who are already absolutely going to vote right. and who are going to vote for the person for whom they're going to vote. Like their their preferences are calcified and their participation is very, very active. Beyond that, I think, you know, there is this like fear that is very, very understandable and this desire for Joe Biden to step down, as you expressed from your music friend, which I totally understand. And the fact of the matter, and, you know, it's a funny thing, like people have this assumption that the calculus would be different for an unnamed person, Mm -hmm. that somehow, you know, everything would just be magically delicious if, you know, I don't know, Michelle Obama gets into the race or whoever we imagine to be our kind of like... John Stewart. Yeah, John Stewart, Oprah, you know, Gretchen Whitmer to be a little bit more realistic Mm -hmm. and speak Mm -hmm. about like an actual accomplished person in politics. I mean, Michelle Obama is also an accomplished person in politics, but she has made it clear that like she would rather, you know, scratch out her own eyeballs (laughs) and like she's not returning to the White House. And at least that is what she has always said. So... The idea that, you know, somehow there's this other vessel. And if we simply had another vessel, we would be in a completely different situation. I wish that were the case. But 
that belies a fundamental misunderstanding of modern politics. Modern politics is very, very, very tribal. Mm -hmm. People vote team blue because they are team blue. People vote team red because they are team red. That is most partisans, but the largest voting block of Americans, and this cannot be stated enough, are voter eligible non-voters. Yeah. That is more than Republicans and more than Democrats. So really the name of the game is are we going to increase turnout? And so I think these naysayers would say, yes, and not that is what I'm concerned about. And we cannot get the turnout that we need if we don't have a younger, more exciting, more dynamic figure. And Maybe that's true. Maybe this perfect person that you like are going to manifest or is going to come to be would do that. But you actually have absolutely no evidence. You we we can't run the counterfactual. And in fact, any time a survey asks about a generic non-entity. So, for example, would you vote third person without naming someone? you get way, way, way more positive response than as soon as you put a name in. In other words, people always want to vote for no one, (laughs) for an unnamed, more than they want to vote for an actual human being. What is the point of this entire diatribe? The point of the entire diatribe is that the number one correlate to voting behavior is actually not talking about candidates, It's not talking about issues, again, so hard for political people to understand. Voting is a habitual action Mm -hmm. that is much more like flossing or daily exercise Mm -hmm. or healthy eating than it is a reasoned, rational choice. People who vote, vote. People who don't vote, don't vote. And so what that means is outside of really astonishing elections. So for example, when Barack Obama came into power in 2008, there was a huge surge of African-Americans voting. Right. He was a singular figure that was able to create that dynamic for reasons I think are pretty darn obvious that no other figure, even another African-American running are gonna be able to recreate because he was the first. Mm-hmm. He's also an extraordinary orator and everything else that we know, right, that I don't need to repeat. But the way that we increase voting behavior, and I'm going to give a very, very specific set of examples, is by making voting the sort of dominant thing that your category of people do, like waiting in line for the new iPhone. Why is everyone waiting in that line? I I don't know. I guess it's because everyone is waiting in that line. Right. Right. And there's no kind of ideological reason behind it. There's no kind of deeper reason behind it. And and I want a bookmark because I'm going to come back to it and say there are real fundamental things that have upset people. And rightly so, I would say, about the present administration And there is a difference between habitual non-voters and trying to break that habit, which is much more like getting a person to start exercising for the first time than people who have previously been voters and are now saying, I'm not going to, like, I'm Mm going to break this habit. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's much more ideological. But as far as habituation, 
what we have seen over time, and and I'm going to draw upon, if you'll allow it, an example from Brazil. Okay. Because even though it's another country, I know other country. There's other people in other parts of the world. Oh, my God. In 2022, they had an extraordinarily critical election between the right-wing authoritarian, you know, Amazon-destroying, anti-Indigenous, anti-LGBT, Christian nationalist, don't don't know if any of this sounds familiar, uh, Bolsonaro, who was in power, who had this rabid right-wing base, who engaged in quote-unquote culture wars, all of the things that, you know, botched the COVID response. And they had another former ex-president running, Lula. Right. And young people were like, screw both of these old guys. I didn't ask you if we can swear on this (laughs) show. Yes, you can. You can. Yes, go. Fuck these old guys. There you go. So here's the situation. You have two old former ex-presidents running. Does that sound familiar? Young people are like a plague on both your houses. Yep. And there was a campaign that increased youth turnout by 47%. It did not make up that number as the actual number. And the core set of messages that they utilized, and, and I was extraordinarily lucky to get to work on this campaign, was if you don't decide, they'll decide for you. Huh. Uh-huh. What they did was they took people's desire for defiance, which is absolutely understandable given the present day situation and decisions with which I also very vehemently disagree, to be clear, very vehemently disagree with what is going on right now in terms of U.S. support for Netanyahu. And I say this as an Israeli, just my other life also. I think anything that helps prop up and support Netanyahu is fundamentally bad for everyone, right. not just in that region, but in the world. It's not helpful to hand a blank check to a criminal. That's a bad idea. Um, and he is a criminal. Putting aside what's going on now, how, whatever you feel about... Uh, oh, he's we could, a we criminal. Could, I mean, he would be in prison if, if not he were for, not elected. There's so many parallels between him and Trump, and people uh, need he, to see that. He is, the, he he, is Trump. He is Trump who sentences parse. He is a Trump who can, you know, speak English in an effective manner and, you know, ironic given it's not his first language, unlike Trump. But what, so, so I am not saying there are not real issues. There are absolutely real issues and there are clear ideological reasons for being extraordinarily unhappy and upset in this moment. Like that is absolutely true. And I think that the way that we deal with that is that it's going to be hard to sell Biden. It's going to be hard to sell. You should vote for Biden Harris. But I think that the thing that we can sell and that we sold, I would argue, in 2018, we sold it even with Biden on the ticket in 2020. We definitely sold it in 2022 is this idea of protecting our freedoms. Our core message in 22 in the battleground states that we won, because in 15 states, where Democrats won, it's important to note that turnout was equal to 2018 historic levels, wow. which makes it more historic because it was an incumbent year. Right. It was, it, right. The midterm. In 35 states, turnout was down among the Democratic base, as anyone would have predicted in a midterm election. Sure. And Democrats did not win 
So what caused that higher turnout and therefore the ability to win in those 15 states? Those were places where a Maggie, uh, a marquee, pardon, somewhere near the top of the ticket, a marquee MAGA Republican was on the ballot. And we were successfully able to make the election a referendum on, are we going to have freedom? Are we going to have fascism? Yeah. And people turned out, not necessarily because there was a name on the ballot that they were super jazzed about, but rather to say, not on my fucking watch, over my fucking dead body. I will stand for myself. I will stand for my daughters. I will stand for the future. And I will stand to make this a country where liberty and justice is for all. And so what I say to people who are like, well, what do we do? You know, I don't like either of these choices. I don't feel good about either of these things. Our electoral system is obviously fundamentally broken. It's been broken since it was made. It was made to be broken. Mm -hmm. It was made to entrench power in a few white rural hands. That's, That's right. how they set it up. That's the electoral college there for you. And the Senate. And the and Senate. You, Absolutely. You know, and the Senate. Well, layer onto that gerrymandering, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yep. And so the way that I think about it is that our electoral system is a shitty broken down toaster that has precisely two slots in it. Uh -huh. There's no way to get a nutritious breakfast out of a toaster. You can't have protein. <laughs> you can't have vitamins. You can't even have a particularly flavorful meal. But your choices are you could have a, you know, slightly crusty, crisp, burnt piece of toast that will at least provide you some calories. Mm -hmm. And those calories will allow you to sustain and engage in the actual fight we need to have, which probably involves having a general strike. Because honestly, I believe the only way we'd get real change in this country is withholding our labor. Yeah. And so you have that toast instead of the carcinogenic lump of like arsenic and other <laughs> kinds of poison, because that's the other slot of yes. the toaster. Yeah. But you understand that the toaster is not the means to the nutritious breakfast, i.e. the actual country that we want to have. And so... I think that what we sell, and this is, again, what we've seen in other countries and what we've seen in our own recent elections of the past, is that you sell this idea that the protagonist-antagonist relationship is not Democrats and Republicans. It's MAGA Republicans who want to take away your freedoms, rule over, not represent us, control you, decide your future for you, mm -hmm. and voters who stand with and for each other and will do all that we can to protect our freedoms. That is the rhetorical matchup. And yes, that requires checking a blue box. It does. Mm -hmm. But that's what we've seen in testing works in terms of messaging. Uh, Anat Shanker Osorio is our guest. And oh my God, Anat, I, I, I can't believe I let 10 years go by <laughs> since we've spoken because you've given us so much already and I, I could keep going because I've got a million more questions for you. So I hope you will come back. Um, we're just <clears throat> getting close to the end of the hour. I know you've got things and uh, we've got a clock. So Anat, listen to her podcast. It's at Words to Win By dash pod.com i'll put it, it's up on the uh chiron i'll put it up on the blog where i post the show today um 
and your your main business website is asocommunications.com. You work with candidates. You help them get their messaging straight because the words we use matter. Um, and, and the way you position things is important. And one of the things I said earlier, and you said, yes, if you if one little thing to take away is talk about what you want, not what you don't want. And I guess that has to come, that comes with, you know, um, manifesting what you want. The, the power of suggestion or visualization is if you think about things you don't want, you're going to get what you don't want. You have to put yeah. out what you want. I, I often tell people, I think this is a helpful anecdote maybe to leave off with. If you're at a swimming pool and kids are running, a decent lifeguard is going to yell, walk. Because if you yell, don't run at a kid, they're going to run either out of defiance or because you just yelled, run at them. And they'll instinctively be like, run. Okay. (laughs) We need to stop telling people what we don't want them to do and start telling people what we do want them to do. Tony Cade Bambara, the writer said, the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. And I would argue that the role of the activist is the very same. We spend so much time being a don't and a no and a stop and a can't, understandably because so many horrible things are going on. But in reality, if you want people to come to your cause, you need to be attractive. And that means saying, This is the world that we can have. The future is made out of the decisions that we take together. We decide what's possible. Wow. Uh, Anat Shanker Osorio, thank you so much. This is great. And and I hope you will come back. I I promise not to be a stranger. Um, I I loved talking with you. Like I said, I could go on for another hour. So maybe you'll come back and we'll set aside a whole hour. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having oh, me, Nicole. Thank you. It was great to see you again, and, and I look forward to uh, next time. And thanks for getting the purple memo. Oh, I, it's my color. That's um, a purple me too. thing. Awesome. <laughs> see, we got a lot in common here. All right, Anat, we will talk again soon. And congratulations, I guess your podcast is coming back for a third season. I urge people to listen. It's completely different than this show. It's very informative, and it's very... Uh, you know, you get information. It's, it's great. So um, I'm all over the place, but <laughs> you're focused. So um, you could get a job with rise 25. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not. thank you. We'll, we will talk soon. I'll, I'll be in touch and thank you again. Happy new year. You, happy new year to you as well. Let's hope 2024 is a, is a good one. Um, all right. So tomorrow, tomorrow's uh, Thursday, right? Tomorrow's going to be a special day because an, another old friend, uh, Dana Steele is going to be here tomorrow. Dana Steele, if you grew up in Houston, Texas, you know, Dana Steele. Dana was a disc jockey. Uh, talk about things in common. Um, but she, she ruled, uh, KLOL in Houston, um, for many, many years. Then she went on to run for Congress, which she's doing again, by the way. And she's been traveling the world for the last year. Oh, and she's been writing a play and getting it produced and it's going to premiere, I believe in March. Um, and it, it has to do with, um, dealing with parents with Alzheimer's. The woman is fascinating and um, uh, she's got a lot to talk about. And yeah, she is running for Congress again in Houston. So um, 
Yeah, good. I, I'm looking very quickly at the chat room. I'm glad to know you guys liked the interview. Anat is great. And by the way, I will link to the article she wrote along with Celinda Lake. That's another name you should know. And Norm Eisen, that is a name you do know because he's... Um, you know, if you watch MSNBC, you see him. But um, uh, uh, and the, the the headline reads: A Trump conviction could cost him enough voters to tip the election. And they make some really good points there. It's January. The election is not until November. Stop with the hyper focus on the polls. They don't mean jack shit at this point. Not that they'll be accurate as we get closer, but right now, stop it. David Hogg, stop it. Vanessa, my friend, stop it. Let's talk about what we do want, not what we don't want. And I want you to come back tomorrow. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. I will see you then. And uh, until then, peace out.